Hello and welcome back to the FEZ show. We had an amazing race in Monaco and we're here to break down everything that happened and alongside me for the next half an hour is the one and only Mr. Jack Pickering and Mr. Nigel Mansell himself. Oh wait, no it's not, it's Edward Hunter for the YouTube audience. Um, boys, welcome on in, how are you? Yeah, cheers, Jack. Happy to be back after my small hiatus. But yeah, uh, we have, we've had a, a contrasting fortunes in Formula E since, but great weekend in Monaco to get stuck into. Yep. Hello, guys. Uh, I do wonder why I get such funny looks from people on the street. It must be <laughs> must be the haircut. <laughs> yeah, I, I think people are just doing double takes. Ed, I think honestly, they're just like, is that is that Nigel? Oh no. Nigel's lost a lot of weight. Yeah, even small Nigel's children who don't have no idea who Nigel Mansell is, <laughs> they recognise him. Yeah. Oh, boys, but let's start right. Obviously, before we get into the details and the nitty gritty of the race, let's just do an overall recap in terms of people have been calling Monaco the best race Formula E has ever had. Now, I wanted to think we've had some amazing races, and I'm sure, you know, with your wealth of knowledge, Right, we'll be able to find some races that maybe could be close or maybe could be marginally better. But Pico, I'll start with you. Like, was Monaco for you the best Formula E race, or was you, do you think there was any others that you know maybe might pip it? Well, I'd say for one thing, it's definitely up there. We've had some fantastic races in Formula E, and it's very rare that we do get a dull race. And so, um, yeah, Monaco this weekend. I'd say definitely up there. We 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 were finally using the full Monaco layout, and uh, yeah, it it proved dividends this weekend with a fantastic race. And um and one thing uh, what one thing that I did see from the weekend is which would be quite in, which we'll probably get into more later on in the show is that that forty five minute plus one lap race had more overtakes in it. Than the 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019 Monaco Formula One Grand Prix combined, which is magnificent. Um, but yeah, it was it was just so good. We had an insane battle for the lead, six changes for for a first position throughout the race, and yeah, it was it it, it was something absolutely brilliant to watch. Ed, your thoughts. Uh, yeah, um, usually when we have a bad race in Formula E, historically we'll be at Monaco because we'll be using the a bridge layout, which is like only about eight or nine corners, and it's the bits of Monaco where you can't overtake, even in Formula E. But yeah, the cars are a bit smaller the, than Formula One, obviously. Uh, they seem to suit, they don't have as much group as Formula One, they're slower than Formula One, but they do really suit the Monaco streets. So in terms of being able to race side by side, we saw a very clear illustration of that when Mitch Evans. And I'm sure we'll talk about this later. Went around the outside of um, Antonio Vizca Costa for the lead of the race at the top of Beauvage, just entering Casino Square, which was an incredible move and was a it was right near the barrier as well. But um, in terms of best Formula e race ever, I don't know. I sort of I can remember a lot of really really good um, Gen One era races. Uh, Gen Two, the, there's like a couple because we haven't had as many Gen Two races overall. There's like a couple that sort of stand out to me, like Santiago. Uh, last season and, uh, and maybe um, a couple of ones this season have been pretty solid as well in my opinion but um, but this is probably the best one of this season so far and uh, even though I know people after Valencia was saying oh well maybe there's a crisis in Formula E because of one bad race and I think this is sort of a nice way to remind people that hey you know Formula E does still do a lot right uh, especially when it's at a street circuit so 
yeah, I think I think a lot of the, a lot of encouraging signs from Monaco, and a lot of really good stories have come out of it. So, Pico, in terms of overtakes, because obviously Monaco is notorious, as you said there in the for the Grand Prix, right? You know, the E Prix had more overtakes than a list of Monaco Grand Prix. So, why do you think for Formula E then were we able to put on such a show? Why do you think you know we were able to have so many overtakes? Well, yeah, as uh, as Ed alluded to, these cars are a lot smaller, which which means that we can have a we can occasionally have these like side by side moves, and uh, uh, and also added on to that, we we have got the uh, the attack mode uh, power boost, which uh, because because the the strategic element is you get to have a you're in a faster power mode at a different point of the race to your competitors. And for uh for for you to either go further up the field or uh or uh, or perhaps lose a couple places, um and yeah and I think those were two very key elements and uh, and uh and the fact that we had these like long a lot well well long runs for Formula E cars so so uh so through the tunnel down into the Nouvelle Chicane. And uh, uh, and also up, and also up the hill into Casino Square, they were fantastic places where you could have that uh, you could have that opportunistic move like Mitch Evans did on Antonio Felix da Costa just before that final uh, safety car came out. And so yeah, it was uh, yeah. I think I think one one thing that's been said a lot about with the Monaco circuit is that uh, is that in the past few years it seems like. The um, the Formula One cars have kind of outgrown the track, whereas for Formula E, this is this is the perfect facility for them. So, do you think then, Ed, that the team principles were wrong? Let's go just take a little history lesson in season five. You know, because in season five we had the option, like people were thinking, right, we've gone to Gen two, we're going full Monaco layout. That was the original plan. Okay, but the team principal seemed to veto it. They seemed to say, oh, maybe we're not ready. You know, there was always, even though people say don't compare Formula One with, you know, Formula E or Formula E with Formula One per se, right? And, you know, there were still people comparing Formula E this weekend uh, or last weekend with Formula One with the, the lap times and also comparing it with the Monaco Historique and some of the lap times from there. But considering that the race that we had, do you think the team principals were wrong or were too cautious about, you know, Gen 2 in Season 5 and using the full Monaco layout? I would agree that they were a bit cautious. And I think you have to remember that there was a big fear that they would have to modify the Grand Prix layout to suit the Formula E cars if they were going to use it, which in the end they didn't have to do too much because remember we were saying pre-weekend that they were going to use the 1929 version of Sandivot and then they changed it to the current Formula 1 version, which still worked really well, I thought. Uh, um, uh, having a having a faster first corner that you could overtake into just before the uphill section at Beauvage that we were just talking about. And um, yeah, but the team principles, I remember, I think I remember a quote from Susie Wolfe where she was basically saying, and she'd only just been made Venturi team principal at the time, she was saying that historically uh, that the bridge layout provided a better spectacle for Formula E. I think mainly because she thought it kept the cars closer together, which, I mean, it's true, but there was still no basically nowhere to pass i remember 2017 version of the monaco epre we saw one pass in the whole race which i think was frines getting past daniel apt and that was it and uh, uh it was clear but i think lucas degrassi even said um yeah, post-race um on saturday he was saying that basically the really short layout was basically 
the Gen 2 cars had outgrown it, which is why I think the Season 5 race, they all looked a bit a bit clumsy. So yeah, we have a, I think what, like what Pico was saying, we had a sort of situation where F1, the speeds are so high now, especially since the 2017 reg change in F1, where we've got these wider cars there, um, the big fat tyres and uh, better aero that creates faster lap times, that they're way too much faster than Monaco. It's such a pleasure watching those qualifying laps, but still, it that doesn't make for amazing races at Monaco, whereas in Formula E, you have a series that's actually grown in because there was worries in the early season that, oh, we can't use the full out because the Gen 1 car can't get up the hill without running out of power. I remember that was a fear that a lot of people had. And it's good to see with Gen 2 that we're able to show that we've made a bit of progress and uh, proved a few people wrong, I think. I suppose, Jack, that maybe turn one of the old DeShorten layout was the spectacle because getting 24 Formula E cars into that tight little downhill section was always scary into turn one and you know we've seen so many we well we saw crashes there in season five and obviously the the famous one in season one where nearly half the field was taken out um so but do you think honestly that they maybe were a bit cautious and you know now that we've done the monaco full layout that you know this is probably what we should have done maybe from gen two straight away well yeah let let's, uh, let let us not forget that Two out of the three times that we had a start on the uh, on on the shorter version of Monaco, there was a crash co- uh, g- going down that narrow hill into the um, Nouvelle hairpin, um, and so yeah, it and so yeah, I mean like when we when we saw that in season one, we thought, yeah, just no, and then season 3 as as i alluded to it was a bit of a ball fest um and then season uh, season 5 we saw that same crash at the start but um yeah I, and yeah it, it was it, it it was definitely high time to switch to this to uh, to the proper layout and um yeah and uh, uh and as you were asking ed a, a couple seconds ago i feel that yeah the team principles from what they said two two and a bit years ago yeah uh hang hang your heads in shame if 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 anyone remembered if anyone had even remembered that the team principles had said that beforehand can i say something because i think it's very easy to blame the team principles but let's not forget the drivers were calling for the grand prix circuit a gag of course we see at the time was calling for and he was even at the race over the weekend was calling for it the person who was against it dead set against it was john todd and as it happens, John Todd is uh, his term is finally coming to an end. He's, there's finally going to be uh, an election to replace him as FIA president, and uh, so it almost feels like Todd has uh, relented because he was so he really didn't want Formula e being compared to Formula One. He was so wor- over worried about. It. So I think it's very easy to blame the team principles, but I think John Todd ultimately had more of a say and was more responsible, in my opinion. I suppose that has just uh, from a side note from what you've just said there, because I think as a leading question, Jack, is um, very quickly is John Todd has been quite protective of Formula E, especially with what he said in the media about, you know, painting Formula E in in a brighter in a brighter light. And maybe it's quite nice in a sense that John Todd is trying to protect Formula E, is trying to make sure that this series grows. But you know questioning whether or not it's done in the right manner you know in asking the media to make sure everything's positive and hunky-dory um about Formula E and maybe the way he's gone about it maybe and maybe you know not having a race on the Formula E track was actually not protecting Formula E was actually maybe harming it more I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like a broken record 
we just showed that Formula E can do the Monaco Grand Prix circuit better than Formula One can. And yeah, that yeah that might they, he might want to try and protect Formula E from that, but um, uh, uh, from from being the comparisons with F one, which everyone every man and his dog has wanted to compare Formula E to Formula One since day dot. But um, yeah, I, I think I, I I think the true testament isn't in the lap times. It's it 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 is the number of overtakes in one forty five minute plus one lap race versus seven full length Grand Prix at Monaco, and um, we had more overtakes. So uh, there you go. Despite all of that, though, I am still looking forward to the Monaco Grand Prix, <laughs> which is coming up in two weeks' time, because I still love Formula One at Monaco, and I wouldn't change it for the world, even if there is no overtakes, because seeing them fly through swimming pool for me is a is just wow. Um, but anyway, back to Formula E. So, before we sort of go into the race in detail, last question. Mitch Evans then. So, we talked about overtakes. We've loved overtakes. Great overtakes. But what was the best overtake for you? For me, actually, I'm not going to say mine yet. But what was it for you? Because for me, I think my top two that would be there would be Mitch Evans' pass at Beau Rivage, which was arguably with the best move of the race. But then people were saying that the Costas move on Evans into the Nouvelle Chicane, all locked up was the best pass so boys what do you think ed i'll start with you well my bet i would say the best passes were all of sam bird's ones which we didn't get to see on the tv coverage uh to get up from what was it it was something like he qualified i think 14th and got up to seventh in the end <laughs> but, uh, which i thought was quite impressive we sadly didn't see much of it because the race up front was so exciting but um yeah i think um i would actually say as, as impressed as i was with it was certainly a ballsy move with um with um, Mitch Evans going uphill, but he did have the benefit of attack mode. I think when De Costa made the move at the very end, when Evans was running low on energy, neither of them had attack mode, and De Costa had to get the break in just right into Nouvelle Chicane, locked up, ne- nearly made contact with Mitch Evans, but just about just about managed to get through. So, in my opinion, of those two, obviously because we're not counting all the others that we didn't see, uh, I would say that um, that last one on the final lap by De Costa was just about the better move. What about and you, also Jack? at the better time as well. Flip a coin, flip a coin for me. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I they they, uh, they were both fantastic moves, and I think that they should be heralded in in uh, in their own light. And yeah, it was uh, it was two fantastic moves for the lead within like four laps uh, within like four laps of each other, like th- like three. Yeah, like three, four like racing laps within each other. So yeah, um, two fantastic moves. So fan boost, fan boost had an effect on this race, which was quite interesting. So we'll talk about that because De Costa, if we remember right, when he was fighting with Robin Frines for the lead, remember Robin Frines, great overtake on Antonio Felix De Costa to take the lead from pole because De Costa was on pole. Um, Frines took it, um, was in control of that race, but then obviously, you know, as the race wore on, um, down into the tunnel, De Costa used that fan boost. Ed, what do you make of that? Because obviously, fan boost for me, that's fan boost working, right? That's Formula E. They're like, yes. That's what we want. They wanted to see drivers use fan boost and fans having that, you know, direct impact that put the Costa in that position to eventually win the race, right? But maybe if he didn't have the co- if maybe if he didn't have that fan boost, for example, he doesn't get past Robin Frines, and maybe we're screaming about Robin Frines' victory instead of a Mitch Evans. Yeah, maybe I could possibly see that. I think it, it's tough to say because you could argue you could argue a couple of things. You could say. Well, De Costa had so much momentum that Fanbreeze helped him complete the move, but he probably would have had enough momentum to get alongside anyway into the chicane, 
You can also say that using fan boost at the right time shows some skill from the costa because we saw Vern use his own fan boost at exactly the wrong time, just as there was like a yellow flag in the sector too because of Nick DeVries' Mercedes stranded by the side of the road. He basically had a horrible race and didn't even get to finish it. And even Mercedes finished, I don't think, because I think Van Dorn had a collision with Verline. But, uh, but Vern used it um, basically and it was useless because there was a white yellow he couldn't go through because uh, he can't overtake when there's a yellow flag. So um, so yeah, I think it did show some skill from DaCosta to use it when he used it. All I would say is that uh, someone like Robin Freins, I don't think is, to my mind, I don't think he's ever won in fan boost. So for me, it's more of an issue at the sort of voting stage that I take issue with that, that someone, that someone like DaCosta and Van Dorn are always going to get it. Robin Freund's very, very unlikely. Unless, of course, as we covered a few years ago, you use some kind of third-party cheat uh, and get a few robots to put in a few thousand votes for you. But uh, for many have apparently covered that loophole, at least they that's what they say anyway. But um, but yeah, I was so I would say it's a bit of skill on DaCosta's part when he, once he got it, but him getting it uh, when Robin Freund would never have the chance and could have defended if he did, but that was never going to happen. So yeah, I, 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 that's my way of looking at it. I'm surprised Robin Jack never gets any any fan base because he's well, he's he's quite a good character in a sense, right? He's got that kind of chill character. He's quite funny in in himself. So you know, I'm surprised he probably doesn't get more votes. But you know, what did you make of the fan boost pass? Because it, in in retrospect, it was kind of critical to how this race turned out. I'll 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 be honest. This was the first time I think I've seen fan boost be used for an overtaking move in about five years it really hasn't been that effective at all and um and like for, for, for the amount of stick that it gets yeah i mean just like i just i it just didn't that, that that was the first time that i'd seen it in quite a few in quite a few seasons and so yeah and it, it, it was such an imperative move for the race and uh and uh yeah it was um yeah, I mean, like fair dues to do uh, to De Costa. I mean, like, admittedly, he did that. Then he had to redo it again, as we alluded to that uh, that fantastic overtake at the end of the race. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was interesting to see Fan Boost actually in action because I I haven't seen it for so many years now. I think I've seen some Fan Boost moves, maybe a bit lower down the order, maybe not for the lead. I think there has been one for the lead, uh, maybe a good couple of seasons ago. But I have seen some Fan Boost moves for. Uh, positions lower down but Ed the race really got interesting and why it got interesting obviously Mitch then once that move was done by DaCosta with fan boost Mitch was still in attack mode was the last to get into attack mode and obviously then breeze past both Robin Fryens and Antonio Felix DaCosta on that same lap obviously with that move at Beauvage that we mentioned but the race got interesting for the same reason the Valencia race got interesting is because we had a safety car. And that safety car caused by Rene Rast, who, you know, hit the wall at the exit of Sandoval, stopped on the run-up to Beau Rivage and Massonet, um, which caused an 8-kilowatt reduction and, you know, caused, obviously, this energy management, tight energy management race, which we saw towards the end. Now, why I'm bringing that up is because in Valencia, we saw the ugly side of it, right? And where it went wrong and, you know... It was Formulary's worst day, one of its worst days, a really bad um, example for electric vehicles, people were calling it. But now we've had one of Formulary's, on the contrast, we've had one of Formulary's best days in Monaco, and the same thing caused it. So 
in terms of energy reduction, surely it's still the right thing to do. I agree, absolutely, because it's such a challenge, like I was saying after Valencia. And I, another thing I said after Valencia was I was bigging up Rene Rast a little bit, so I feel a bit bad that, that he's had some awful luck with that collision with Cassidy, which you know put him in the barrier and caused that uh, safety car period. But uh, but yeah, so Evans, I think, had only... It was very marginal, actually, between, I think, um, Evans was only like a percentage lower than everyone else, or something, a very small amount. So basically, the, the last half of the final lap, he was coasting around, and once the Costa got through, he was able to pull away. But uh, but yeah, it was really pull, caused by um, that final safety car period and the reduction. I think they changed the rules coming into Monaco. So if the safety guard happened in the last five minutes, I think, because it was if it's after forty minutes, then uh, then they wouldn't do the reduction. It just in order to cover off the potential of a valencia style incident happening again which uh i, I guess makes sense um, in my mind that's a little bit cautious i think if it had gone over five minutes i still would have loved to see uh the reduction happen but that's just me personally i can understand why they'd be cagey about that uh so but luckily if it was about seven minutes to go they were able to restart i think Vern was the only one who still had a, a tank mode left uh, but he wasn't quite able to use it because because of the safety car finally after the field was bunched up so Vern couldn't quite uh, get onto the podium but uh but still a uh, very interesting end to the race and uh, evans uh only just uh on the line got pipped by robin frines actually for second position so uh, i think robin frines we're saying might feel a bit aggrieved he didn't win but he did very well actually to recover up to second uh, by just just getting evans on the line i think yeah because mitch evans said in his interview jack afterwards that he spent his energy in that attack mode phase, getting past, getting into the lead, and obviously the safety car didn't really help him because obviously he had that energy reduction, so that means he had less time to recover that energy, which caused that grandstand finish. Well, yeah, and and uh, and uh, with uh, with Mitch backing it, backing everyone up, it actually made it so I believe over the line, De Costa won by about two and a half seconds, and uh, over Frine, so France was two and a half seconds behind, and then. Uh, I think it was someone like Mortaro or something who came 12th was seven and a half seconds behind. So you had 10 cars separated by five seconds. So, I mean, like in terms of like bunching up the pack to make it exciting towards the end of the race, fair dues, Mitch Evans. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was, um, uh, it was still an exciting race right to the end. Um, I do feel that they need to properly analyze this, um, uh, the energy reduction under the safety car. I'm not sure in terms of ideas or in terms of what they should do about it. But um, even when like Da Costa came over the line, it just about read 0, 0.0. And same with Mitch and all that lot. And and uh, and obviously that it's it's rounded to the nearest percentage, so it could be 0, 0.03 or 0, 0.02, which is fine. But um, but yeah, I, I I do feel that Formula E do need to do. A little bit more investigating because I feel I feel like it's I feel like it's a good thing, but at the moment, then it needs to be executed a little a little bit better than it currently is. But surely that's what we want, right? Surely that because surely we want them finishing on zero percent because that makes it interesting. If they're finishing on two percent, they're basically flat out, right? And we don't get that last minute overtake. We don't get that run to the line excitement of who's going to finish where because, and that's the beauty of the energy reduction system is that we finish the race literally crossing the line using the maximum amount of energy because if we're finishing on three or four percent then you're basically flat out for the last lap because you don't need to save yeah i agree i agree with you jack i think if uh 
if uh, if they had not done the energy reduction because I was worried that they would they might actually because the race director can do they can decide not to reduce energy if they're like if at their at Scott Elkins race director's discretion uh if if they feel like there's maybe it's too close to the end or they want to avoid a potential catastrophe or something like that and i was worried for a moment that they were going to do it and i was relieved actually when they did because i knew it was going to set up a really exciting finish if they hadn't mitch evans probably would have won and the cost would be complaining that they've decided not to do reduction and this time it's played against him whereas before it was the other way around where they reduced it and completely caught the costa out in uh, the uh, first race at valencia in the rain so so yeah, good by the way to see the Costa finally get his championship defence uh, underway because he is a really class driver. We haven't really seen it yet this season. There's a lot of atrocious luck in the second race at Valencia. By the way, we didn't talk about, it, but he had this thing where he was activating his um, attack mode because because of an ergonomics issue. He kept nudging the button in his cockpit, and that was what caused him to get a penalty because he was using it when he wasn't in, supposed to be in attack mode, and uh, he got and that cost him a lot of points in Valencia. So good to see him finally uh, get everything together. And actually, in uh, in uh, this race, we saw um, we saw his teammate Jean Eric Verne have an issue with attack mode, where he went to go through the activation zone, and it didn't activate that first time. It, it didn't activate that first time. It it only activated on the second or third attempts when he tried to do it the, uh, a few times after. Indeed. Um, so where do we go from here, boys? Because Puebla. Where <laughs> 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 you, you got me on that one. Um, so Mercedes were the favourites, right? Going into this race, you could say, you know, they, they were strong. They've been strong everywhere. You know, they had that sort of blip in Valencia, but they look quick. But, you know, circumstances happened. And, you know, but we go to Monaco, you're thinking Mercedes, they're the front runners. And again, they have a difficult race weekend. They don't excel in qualifying. They start further back. And we know Monaco is difficult to overtake. Yes, we saw lots of overtakes. But, and I know we saw Sandberg get into the points, but... You know, Mercedes being like 16th and, and 19th on the grid, you know, you're not you're not expecting. I think Sam was 16th, so I think Van Dom was a bit further behind. Um, you know, you're not going to make miracles getting into the points. So, do we think Mercedes are as good as we think they are? Do we think now going into Mexico that maybe Tech Cheetah and Jaguar are the favourites um, for the remainder of the season, and maybe they're the teams that might begin to pull away? Or do you think Pico? that Mercedes are still in this fight. Well, the beauty of Formula E is that you cannot call it. You can never call it. Uh, I think it's going to be really exciting between the Cheetahs and the Mercedes and the Jaguars. Uh, I think it'll be a bit, a little bit of an effort for any of the other teams to really fight in that championship. Now, Robin Freund's obviously now leads the championship, so um, so yeah, he is he is in that fight. But unfortunately, Nick Cassidy's luck doesn't get any better. And so that's why the Envision Virgin team aren't in that fight for the championship. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be between those seven drivers. Uh, I think uh, I think even though that we're going to places like Puebla, which is a proper circuit, uh, we're going to um, where are we going to New York and London and Berlin? I mean, like London, uh, London's going to be an interesting one. We, uh, I can't wait to see how that fares out. Um, not just because we're from the UK, but um, uh, but yeah, because it's an indoor outdoor uh, track uh, going through the XL, and then we got Berlin to finish off, and um, uh, Ds to Cheetah were very strong around there last year. So um, who knows? I think we, we've now got this six week break, but when, but when we return in a few in a few weeks time, it's gonna be it's, it's gonna be game on once again. 
And that's key, what you just said about Robin Fryns there, Ed, is that is consistency so important still in Formula E? Because even though, like, Mercedes were quick and Jaguar were quick and, and Tech Cheetah were quick, if none, none of their drivers are currently leading the Drivers' Championship. It's Robin Fryns who has been super consistent. So, yes, we may be expecting maybe a tech Jaguar, a Tech Cheetah driver or a, a Mercedes driver to be lifting the championship, but... Could you see an outsider like Robin Frines who is being consistent so far? If he can keep that consistency up, could you see him maybe lifting the title towards the end of the season? It's a little bit against type, isn't it? Because usually when we think Robin Frines, we think him like in opposite, full opposite lock, sliding around, bashing into walls and getting on the podium despite the suspension being all out of whack, all sorts of spectacular heroics. We don't usually think Mr. Consistency keeps it out of trouble and gets the points and wins the championship because of that. But that's how he's playing it so far. And uh, it really seems to be working out, at least for the moment. It would be incredible to have the first FIA Formula E champion, world champion, be a driver that doesn't win a single race, finishes on the podium all the time. That would be quite something. So I'd be amazed if uh, Robin Primes can pull it off. If anyone can, it would be Robin. Uh, the really interesting thing for me in terms of the constructors, especially, but also the drivers, is... Uh, is that uh, we've got obviously the cheetah their season seven powertrain has now gotten them two wins since they've introduced it in rome so definitely with both drivers as well so it definitely seems like the cheetah are doing the usual thing where they uh get on top of things mid-season and then start to get consistently really really strong results nissan well, i don't think we've seen the best of nissan's powertrain either we saw roland miss out a little bit in the super bowl because he uh, basically there was they were recovering from red flag he got into the car at the super bowl after qualifying ended with like 80 seconds to go until the the red light was called and so he had to get back in the car and got caught out and so he didn't so he lost the position on the grid to gunther because of that and i think ended up finishing behind him in the race as well so um i don't think we've quite seen the best of nissan season 7 powertrain either and that could really put um be a fly in the ointment for the likes of jaguar and mercedes as they're trying to use their power chains they've been running since the start, they could have uh, four cars in front of them they've got to negotiate for with for the championship, as well as Robin Franz, of course. So then finally, then, to, to wrap up the show, boys, um, Monaco in itself, then, obviously a biannual event that happens every two years. Um, but now that we've seen how amazing it is for Formula and how what, what a spectacle it was, do you think it has to? have a place on the calendar every year Pico or do you think if we keep having it as a biannual event then maybe when we get to Monaco every two years it will just be that little bit more special yeah yeah I do see the reasoning behind that however I do uh, I do like Monaco for the Formula E cars I mean like I mean I speak to people about Monaco these days and yes it's like the most prestigious race on the Formula One calendar but it's like okay so I'll watch uh, so I'll watch Saturday qualifying then yeah and uh, that that's it that all you need to do for that with with um, with, uh, uh, with F1 however you do watch it on a Saturday with Formula E, but you watch qualifying and the race for that because because they have produced such a fantastic race this weekend that if they if they were to put it as an annual event, I were I would not be I would not be frustrated at all. I think I think it'd be fantastic for them to uh, to do it every year. Obviously, they've got to sort out like the stuff with the Monaco Historic as well, um, but uh, because that because that's what interchanges. Um, however, this year they ran it. Um, they ran the Monaco Historic um, a few weeks ago um, and did uh, Formula E this weekend. So, 
uh, who knows? But yeah, I think um, I think uh, if 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 we if we did have Monaco on the calendar every year, that would be pretty damn cool. Ed, your thoughts? Well, I think the strength of Formula E calendar is its flexibility, right? Um, in that uh, it's a sort of case of, especially with you know travel restrictions and COVID and stuff, that it's a case of filling out the calendar as best you can and i think there's a sense of maybe it was really good that we had monaco as a single header that felt a bit more special than having double headers at monaco which i guess in theory they could have done but uh, uh monaco tends to they tend not to like doing that uh so um yeah i think it was good also that we proved that formula can run on the full circuit so it means they don't have to modify it especially for formula as we saw in years past and that helps in terms of Monaco GP historic and F1 using the same layout. We know Prince Albert and his foundation are really big fans of electric cars and Formula E specifically, and good friends with Gag, of course, who's still got heavy links as a chairman of Formula E. So it could happen every year, uh, but in my 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 preference would probably be fill out the calendar with really, really interesting races, because obviously Monaco has all that prestige and glamour associated with Formula One. But for me, for Formula, it's just, oh, it's just a really good racetrack. So I don't care about all the yachts in the harbour or all the celebrities trying to get there. Well, we wouldn't have any this year, of course, but uh, in future seasons, you would assume more celebrities would show up to the Formula race in Monaco. And we did have them before like, when we were using the British circuit. So, yeah, but none that, none that actually interests me is more the actual race. Just put, put the best race circuits on the calendar. And if Monaco can be on there, great. But if we can get races in new places, so let's say Tokyo somewhere in Africa, Adelaide in Australia, just spitballing a few random venues, I would say great, and we'll go to Monaco next year. So I'm fine with biannual. If it's annual, great, because it's a great track for Formula E, but yeah, that's my thoughts. And Vancouver, Vancouver, you could add to that list. because Well, that's true, there's a lot, lot of buzz there. To be fair, the, the, the Vancouver buzz has been going on since season one, and season two, I remember speaking to Elizabeth Ball, the Vancouver mayor, I don't know if she's still mayor, but um, there was always there's always been interest in Vancouver for Formula E. It's not it's not brand new, but it looks like it's definitely gaining traction now. But boys, thank you so much um, for joining me today. All right, cheers, thank you. No worries. Uh, until next time. Until next time, indeed. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't mind Monaco as um, as a, a yearly event because I tell you what, I'm a big strawberry tart fan, and Monaco has the best. So. Thank you so much for joining us for the FEZ show. We will be back in a little bit. We'll probably take a couple of weeks off. We'll come back. We'll preview the Mexico round. Talk up any news. Gen 3 news. There's a lot of stuff going on at the moment. So we'll probably do a recap of all the latest news ahead of the Mexican E-Pri. Um, but until then, thank you very much for watching. And we will see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.